Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. In the name of the one true and loving God who makes us salty, amen. Please be seated. This is a tricky gospel. Uh, And we're in the midst of a short creation season in the church, and Christians all over the world are praying. Um, We're invited to pray in these Sundays leading up to St. Francis's feast next week for our human relationship to the rest of creation. Relationship is key to these readings. So I'm going to spend more time there than with some of the gory verses. I'll cover them a little bit, but... Today's gospel gets at a fundamental tension in our understanding of relationships. In today's gospel, John comes to Jesus to tell him, Teacher, we saw someone throwing out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. There are echoes from what we read from the book of Numbers of Moses having his authority questioned, and there are these folks preaching without license. John, when he comes up to Jesus, is expecting a thank you. He wants Jesus to know he had his back. John thinks he's done well, and Jesus surprises John. Jesus inverts the usual saying, if you're not with me, you're against me. No, Jesus says, whoever isn't against us is for us. For Jesus, the way that the disciples and the way that we today have been taught about relationship is problematic. The way we've been taught to compete and count insiders and outsiders, it won't work if you want to follow Jesus. We spend quite a bit of time in our modern day worried about our private relationships, and this gospel isn't about family systems. This section of Mark is all about public relationship. Jesus asks his disciples to relate differently than they were taught by society, with ethnic outsiders and children and the poor. Jesus invites his disciples to radically redefine relationships with power, with money, with faith, with government, with rivals. Relationships have power. How are we related? What does this have to do with creation? When I was in college, the Native American activist Winona Leduc broke open my sense of relationship and creation. Leduc gave a lecture at my university and introduced our class to the Iroquois understanding, which has come to permeate a lot of Native activism around ecology. The Iroquois have a teaching about the seven generations. Maybe you've heard it. For the Iroquois, any decision, especially a decision about natural resources or land, must consider the impact to the seventh generation. This indigenous understanding can be read in tribal opposition uh, to things like the Dakota Access Pipeline. The people of Standing Rock, albeit of a different tribe, but they applied this same principle in North Dakota and they opposed the construction through their land, through their water sources, of a pipeline because they considered that at some point down the generations, 
in the lifetime perhaps of their great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, the pipe could leak into Lake Oahe or the Mississippi or Missouri rivers. How will this decision impact future generations? The teaching has been common. It's become a common yardstick for many indigenous ecological activists. And maybe it's because I have a kid now, but this question of our relationship with younger generations, it's starting to weigh on me. In London, in Warsaw, in Mexico, cities across our globe on Friday, young people, many of them 20 plus years younger than me, marched to raise awareness of climate change. I look at those young people and I think, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. Those are tricky words in church. Sometimes we say a confession around here and we confess the things we have done and the things we have left undone. And part of the reason that we're so stuck on questions like this is that they have more to do with relationship than our individualistic society often lets us think. And part of the reason we're so stuck on questions of fossil fuel and pollution is that we tend to treat the problem as an individual problem. Remember when we were all supposed to calculate our carbon footprint? And gosh, I could get all worked up trying to reduce, reuse, recycle, and bicycle my way to a smaller impact on the planet. But in recent years, listening to friends who know far more than I do about these questions, I've learned that me doing my little part at home isn't enough. Climate change and the ecological crises that come with it aren't solvable on the individual level. We have to think more corporately. We have to think more corporately. Those are some dangerous words in this pulpit. It's a pretty easy thing to turn this now. It'd be easy for me to turn it into a tirade against evil corporations or government, and I've probably preached a version of that sermon before. But friends, part of the difficulty is the myth that we've woven around corporations. We treat companies as if they're something more than they are. Corporations are people. I don't mean that in the way the Supreme Court ruled around political speech. Corporations are people, plural. They're made up of people. To incorporate means to make a body. All of us belong to corporate bodies. Whether as members of a church, a nonprofit, or employees of a business, residents of a certain neighborhood, voters in a district, we are all relentlessly incorporated. Makes you hear that second part of the gospel about what you do with parts of the body that are causing you to stumble a little bit differently. To actually make a difference for our planet, we have to pay attention to our corporate relationships. We have to cultivate them. If you want to make a difference for the planet, you might need to volunteer your time for the ethics committee at work pushing to get your workplace to investigate the ethical sourcing of materials. You might need to show up at a community meeting to talk about the environmental impact of a local government decision around our sewer system or a proposed construction project. I know it's rough. We have to sit around the table with other people. Who is it that said hell is other people? Here at my workplace at your church, we're going to need some help with these questions. 
I'm looking for volunteers. Big surprise, I'm always looking for volunteers. But with the question of climate, did you know that this church spends $10,000 a year on electricity? $10,000 a year. That's so much more carbon than my home. We've been talking for years now about getting solar panels, and I think it's time we get serious. And I think they should be big and ugly and visible from the street. And more importantly, they should come with a big tacky sticker on our windows telling our neighbors who they can call to get solar panels at their home or business. To do this work now on solar, we're going to need money, sure. But probably more than that, we're going to need volunteers to give their time to meet together on Zoom or around a table because it takes relationships to move corporate systems, even little ones like this one. Relationships matter in faith. I think it's easy to forget this because we have over-personalized almost everything in our society. We have over-individualized. It's certainly true of faith. How often have you heard the phrase, my relationship to God, or my relationship to Jesus, my personal walk? It's because of this over-individualization that we struggle with that big paragraph in the gospel about plucking out eyes and severing limbs. Please don't take that literally or personally. Jesus is talking rhetorically. Jesus is asking people to tend to their relationships. He's saying it's okay to release relationship with people who cause harm. That's all. It's still painful because relationships matter. A friend, a wiser priest than me, just started as the rector of a big church down south. I watched her first forum in the parish, a big Q&A, and an earnest parishioner asked his new rector, essentially, what do we do about the people who have gotten so comfortable worshiping from home in their pajamas? How do we get them back? I say this priest is wiser than me because she didn't immediately go to a defensive place. And she didn't immediately start out with a reactive defense of in-person worship. She paused. And she noticed her own experience when she wasn't busy leading worship on a Sunday morning. She said that at first she was very dedicated to signing in right on time, right at 8 or 1030 to being very attentive. But as the pandemic dragged on, she noticed that sometimes she was vacuuming during church or doing other housework while listening on her earbuds. She says, I'm sure I was alone in this. <laughs> but then she said, you can denigrate that or you can notice there's something powerful about worshiping from home. For the first time, for many of us, church was literally meeting people exactly where they were. And we don't want to lose that. And then she said something that I found really compelling. Don't lose that it's powerful to church, for church to meet where you are. But she said, I hope everyone who is still at home, everyone who's still at home hears from someone who knows them from church. I miss seeing you. I miss spending time with you. I miss praying with you.
Look, friends, we discovered something that some of us clergy wanted to keep a secret in the pandemic. It's this. You can worship God anywhere. You can encounter God anywhere. Yes, we believe God is really present in the Eucharist here at the altar. But we believe that the bread is a sacrament, a symbol which breaks open God's presence everywhere. God is everywhere even when we're vacuuming. You don't need to come to church to find God. But this is where we find God together. In all the mess, in all the frustration, in all the joy that comes in relationship. So if you haven't seen someone in a while, notice. Drop them a note, a text, make a phone call. If you haven't come in a while and you're at home in your pajamas, don't feel guilty, but know we miss you. We look forward to seeing you again. Relationships matter. At the risk of going on too long, let me introduce one more twist to this discussion before I sit down. I've been thinking a great deal about relationship and church these days, you can probably tell. For more than a century, we have counted how many people worshipped Sunday, on Sunday mornings in person with us. It's the only count that matters as far as the national con church concerns. We would have to submit it every year, average Sunday attendance in our forms. And frankly, friends, we were doing well, and I probably got a bit prideful about it. For five years, we grew. And in 2020, in March of 2020, we were getting close to 200 people on a Sunday here. We hadn't seen those numbers since the 1960s. I was proud. I don't know when or if we will count that many people that way again. But as I read today's gospel, I think Jesus wouldn't want us to be anxious about counting insiders. Jesus doesn't want his followers to drive away people doing good work because they're not card-carrying members. Jesus cares more about the healing the world needs. And so I find myself wondering, as we take timid steps toward what is next for us, how can we broaden our sense of who counts? Can our churches worry less about growing an arbitrary number of people who show up on a Sunday morning to a building? And can we put more energy into growing relationships that can transform lives? Relationships that can transform neighborhoods. Relationships that can have the power to transform our planet. I've caught glimpses. In the thick of the pandemic, I watched as volunteers from this church got together, organized themselves on social media, and supported voters waiting in long lines to vote last November. I've seen folks invite friends to join with them as our church marched in LGBTQ plus pride or in a rally for sensible gun control. How do we start counting more of the people who aren't against us? How do we walk together and be for God's justice together, even with folks who might not name it the same way we do? In order to have the power to make the kind of change our world so desperately needs, we have to grow our community. What relationships could we activate to work to make life better seven generations down the road? 
What if we worried less in the church about counting insiders and more about how we could work together for the healing of our planet? Amen.